0: So we're up this morning to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. That text is in the bulletin and also uh, up on uh, the screens behind me. But before I read it, let me pray. Father, we come to you today thanking you for uh, the joy that we have of sins forgiven, uh, but also the joy of fellowship uh, that you provide us with uh, other human beings uh, to, uh, well, to be in companionship with, and to uh, pursue uh, the gospel, to pursue Christ, and to pursue the mission of the church together. So would you bless us today uh, as we uh, consider this man Epaphroditus and the work that you did in his life. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Philippians 2, verses 25 through 30, that uh, text uh, is up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it. And respond to it as such this morning, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my knee. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him and the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So uh, it's a pretty profound thing for us to look here and see Paul. Uh, opening his heart up and talking about his friends. Last week we saw him talk about Timothy and, uh, you don't miss the connection here in chapter two, that great hymn about Christ emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant that he ends this chapter by talking about Timothy, as we looked at last week, his son in the faith. And this week, Epaphroditus, uh, someone he calls his, his brother and a number of other things. So that's, it's important for us to see that. Uh, the church, Christianity, the gospel is not a solitary thing. Uh, and so it is if, if the Apostle Paul required human relationships, how much more so do we? Now, it's interesting. The thing to note, you know, last week, uh, Paul notes that Timothy is his son and the Lord. Uh, this week, he has a whole list of descriptions for this man Epaphroditus. And we're going to unpack those in in just a little bit. But it's an impressive thing. As Paul talks about Epaphroditus, that he almost died. What would Paul have said at Epaphroditus' funeral? What would he have said about him? Uh, A few years ago, uh, David Brooks wrote a book uh, called The Second Mountain. And he talked about it, that there are two kinds of virtues that we pursue. One is called the resume virtues where you list your uh, uh, academic accomplishments, your work accomplishments, the things that you've done, the, those sorts of things. Those are generally the kinds of things that you want your kids to be about. Right. I want you to make good grades in school. I want you to be a good citizen, uh, get gainfully employed, make us proud. Um, win some awards along the way, right? Um, but typically, what do you want people to say about you when you're dead? Well, the things that we usually want people to say about us when we're dead is that they loved us, that we loved them, that we uh, were loyal friends, uh, that uh, we cared for one another, that we sacrificed for the people that we loved. And so it, it, it's important for us to to, to to think about that as we as we look at this here today. I think part of what Paul's doing is he is thinking, wow, I almost lost Epaphroditus. He almost died. As we read here, he got sick, sick uh, unto the point of death. And so he's thinking about how dear he is because he almost lost him. Uh, we in our family, one of our favorite movies is Waking Net Divine. Uh, it's an old movie. Uh, most of you is made before uh, most many of you were born. Uh, it is about two elderly men in a obscure uh, uh, village and island uh, off the coast of Ireland who set about a scheme to defraud the national lottery uh, in Ireland. And they have a fake funeral uh, in the movie uh, because they have, it's, it's complicated. But they have a fake funeral where one of the men gets up and talks about the other one. Uh, and he talks about what a great friendship they had, and that, as they'd grown old together, that uh, when they laughed together, uh, they grew young again it's 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 just a it's a great great story, great music in it too um, well it's worth thinking about uh first of all, would there be anybody to stand up at your funeral and say anything good about you? <laughs> OK, that's that's worth thinking about. But the other thing, what kinds of things would people want to remember about you? As Paul talks about his friend Epaphroditus and the work that Christ did there in his life, there's a there's a bit here for us uh, to learn uh, this morning as well. Right. So. Um, Uh, Let's, let's just jump in here. Who was Epaphroditus? Well, first of all, the thing uh, that his name means lovely or handsome. Uh, Now maybe, you know, when he was born, his mother looked at him and said, that's the cutest baby I've ever seen. And, uh, which I think every mom says that, uh, uh, said that, said that about him. Uh, We laugh, a couple of us on the church staff, we laugh about uh, the fact that we have a theory, we have many theories about uh, human life that people who are super good looking and you know who you are uh, people people who are super good looking don't have to have as good a character as people who are average looking like us uh, because you skate by in life a lot if you're good looking right or you're gifted right? we excuse a lot for good looking people and gifted people <laughs> right and so uh so we, we uh, you know, but which is funny about that, because what do you say to your kids? Oh, you're so cute. Right. So we anyway, uh, I, I digress. But the the fact is, his name means lovely or handsome. And he's only mentioned here in Philippians chapter two and in chapter four. Now, what we know about him is, is that he likely brought a gift to Paul uh, from the Philippians, probably a financial gift to support him and. Paul is going to be sending him back to them uh, with this message, probably with this letter. And he's also probably going to send him back to uh, be the one that's mentioned in chapter four to kind of settle the dispute, the the, the, the dispute between these two women uh, in the church. And so that's that's what uh, that's what Epaphroditus. That's kind of his role. That's. That's what he's doing. And so it's and and it's it's an impressive thing because Paul also thinks that Epaphroditus will return back from Philippi if he's still in jail, still in prison, still alive, and give him a report about how his letter was received and how the church there is faring. Next slide. So let's let's look at what Paul says about him. Well, first of all, he says that he's a brother. Now, uh, you know, brother is one of those words that we read it in the New Testament that we we kind of gloss over because, you know, we know the theological things about the fact that in Christ that we have God as our father. He puts us into his family and we are heirs and sons of God together. And therefore, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. In this culture, you would never call someone a brother who is ethnically different from you. The fact that Epaphroditus has a Greek name and the fact that Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees and and, and, and Jew of Jew in a sense. The the fact of the matter is what what has happened there is that God has done something profound. That He's taken two people very different from one another, very different cultures, very different uh, places in life. And he's joined them together so that Paul can say that this man Epaphroditus is his brother. Uh, and that he that he is dear to him, just just as if he were a brother. He goes on to say that he is a fellow worker, that they are joined together, that their fellowship is not just in understanding the same gospel, that their fellowship is not just understanding the same theological truths, but they work. They are working for the mission of the church, that they are joined together in seeing the gospel have It's a fact seeing the gospel have its full effect that it would go out and reach people. They're joined in that. One of the things that is so hard about many of our relationships in the church is we may like each other. We may agree with each other. We may share similar theological convictions, but a real weakness in our relationships is that we don't have a mission together that we are not together in pursuing shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder, uh, the work that God has for us. But but not only are they brothers, but they are working together. Second, thirdly, he's called a fellow soldier. We know that in uh, Paul's view of the world that we wrestle not against uh, uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, that they were in the same conflict together. Uh, working against the darkness and the evil that was present in the world by praying, by preaching the gospel, by being the the faithful men that God had called them to be. Uh, he's their messenger. The church at Philippi trusted Epaphroditus with an offering and trusted him to travel all those miles in a situation where travel was not as easy as it is now to take that to Paul there uh, in in Rome. Um, he is there, the, the minister to his need, that he came there not only to bring the offering, but he brought Paul fellowship, that he was willing to, to be with him, to talk to him. It was a, think about this for a second. I mean, it is a, it's an impressive thing that the people in Philippi and Epaphroditus and Timothy, as we mentioned last week, are not ashamed of Paul. And, and not only are they not ashamed of him, but they're willing to take the risk to be associated with someone who is in prison. Someone who is a, who is facing a, 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 a death penalty that does not keep them uh, keep them away. They are glad to associate with him. They're glad to visit with him. They're glad to be there with him. They're glad to encourage him to bring him the gifts that uh, that he needs. Now, what we read about this is, is apparently that while Epaphroditus is there with Paul, he gets really, really sick, very sick. In fact, Paul says uh, that uh, he was so sick that he was ill near to death, right? We don't know what that sickness was. We don't, we, we don't have any idea. But uh, the fact is he almost died. So Epaphroditus was willing to take the risk. Uh, to go and to be with Paul, uh, even if it cost him his physical health. Now I wanna, I wanna stop here for a minute and just say, if you knew somebody like Epaphroditus that committed to the gospel, you would probably say, dude, you need to go to counseling. <laughs> right? Doesn't he seem a little compulsive here? Doesn't, doesn't he seem a little compelled? Like, you know, uh, he is going to do whatever it takes to minister to Paul. He's going to do whatever it takes to minister to the church at Philippi. He he gets sick. And what's his concern when he's sick? Not that, hey, you people out there didn't know I was sick. Come here and help me. No, he's worried that you'll know he's sick and that will distress you. <laughs> in, in our kind of modern way in which we we think about that, we we tend to think that's he's a little he's a little you know off the deep end here on this gospel and fellowship business isn't he right and yet that is the level of his commitment the gospel has made such a difference in his life the 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 compelling work of Jesus Christ the the forgiveness of sins the righteousness of God the the empowerment of the holy spirit the the fact all of those things are so Uh, 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 matter to him, define him by so much that he's willing to die, that he's willing to be sick, that he's willing to associate with someone who is in prison, that he's willing to go and do these things. You see, when Jesus says that he he loved us so much that he emptied himself, that he took on the form of a servant, that he died for us, that's not just saying, you know, the joy that we have in, as believers, the, the great work that God has done in us is that we're forgiven of our sins. That's as true as that is. But that forgiveness of sins is such a compelling thing. It reorients our lives. It changes the things we love. It changes the things that are dear to us so that now Epaphroditus, Paul and the ministry of the church, the, the Philippians are more dear to him than his own life not that he's stupid or he's taking untoward risks but his affections have been rearranged by Jesus Christ that's what the gospel does the power that the church has the power that Christians have is not just in the truth while that's that's certainly powerful But that truth taking hold of a man or a woman or a boy or a girl and making them a a different kind of person, the kind of person who is willing to, to sacrifice, to give up for the sake of another, to love, to love. And so Paul is just swept up in this idea of how dear this man is and the the glory that he is giving to Christ and the reality of, of who Epaphroditus is and the work that Christ has in him. But Paul says some things also about Epaphroditus that are startling if you're paying attention. And in fact, if you're paying attention, should make you think Paul is contradicting himself. Frankly, I mean, look at what he says. He says, but God had mercy on him when Epaphroditus was sick and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I know this was the man who calls on every Christian to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And yet he has sorrow upon sorrow. Right? Right. How can how can those two things be? But even more so, he goes on to say that um, he wants to uh, send Epaphroditus. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. This is the guy who said. Be anxious about nothing. Right. And here he is talking about having anxiety. Isn't that fascinating? Guess what? Paul the Apostle is a human being. (laughs) I know we we read the Bible and we read these things about uh, these people and and we make them out to be something that they're not. And then there are some of us who will take the language of the Scriptures about rejoicing in the language in the Scriptures about not being anxious and we'll make that a law. And so when someone comes to us who's grieving a loss, we're, attempt, we, we, we're tempted to tell them that they're sinning because they're sad, because they're grieving. Or when someone loves someone else and they are concerned for them, even as Paul is concerned for the Philippians and as, as he doesn't want the Philippians to be distressed or concerned about Epaphroditus, why doesn't he just say, you know, stop being anxious? He recognizes his own anxiety. So what are, what are we to make of that? Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> the gospel is not a drug. Okay? The gospel is not this thing that comes to us and we get we get inoculated with it and now we are immune to living in a fallen world. Right? I I know, you know, the 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 infection of sin no longer impacts me. Loss, who cares about loss? Grief, who cares about grief? Anxiety, who cares about that? I am so full of the joy of the Lord, I am so full of the gospel that no, no nothing, no, there is no such thing as loss. Or in fact, in fact, what we, we may even come at this, that, that true obedience, true faithfulness, means that we never have sorrow, means that we never have anxiety. The, the, you have, the, the, the fact is, the gospel doesn't turn you into a robot. The gospel doesn't turn you into someone who only has positive emotions about what's happening in the world. The, the fact is, Jesus, if, if, if that's what we think the gospel is, then Jesus is no savior because he sinned in the cemetery where Lazarus was buried because he wept in grief. Jesus had sorrow. So what are we to make of this? Well, you have to be able to hold simultaneously, hold these things together. The recognition that, yes, we have sorrow, we will lose things, and there will be difficulties that will come our way. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, right? As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we sing we sing that great song. Great is thy faithfulness. Those words were written by a prophet weeping in the smoking ruin of his city. And so we have to be able to hold those two things together. We are not completely undone. We are not completely swept away because of the mercy of God. But the reality is, if you don't leave room in your heart and your soul for sorrow, then, then you can't love. You can't, you can't make yourself vulnerable. If you can't leave room in your heart and soul for some anxiety for the people that you love, then I, I think the gospel actually has not helped you. It's harmed you. Now we're not defined by our anxiety. We're not defined by our sorrow. We are defined by our hope. But we must, you only need hope if there is sorrow and, and, and threats and the broken and fallen world that we're in, we still live in a broken world. We still live in a world that is affected by sin. And so it would do us some good to recognize the fact that there is a place in the Christian life for sorrow, sorrow upon sorrow, if he'd lost his friend. It doesn't mean that God's not good. It doesn't mean that God's not, not for him, but that's, that's real. Or that he would be concerned about the effect of the gospel in the lives of these people. And that he is concerned about the work that he has poured into this church at Philippi might amount to nothing because of this argument between these two ladies. If the Apostle Paul can say he would have had sorrow, if he can say that he has some anxiety for people that he loves... And we need to make room for that along with gospel joy and gospel confidence at the same time. I, I'm working on a project this year that I committed uh, to do. So our third floor of our house, our attic, is finished. And our middle child, our son Guy, that was his room, I don't know, for 15 years. He stayed up there. Uh And it's... You know, he, he lives, he's in, he's in the <laughs> army, he doesn't live with us, he hasn't lived with us for years. And that room is full of his stuff, still full of his stuff, so much. Now, now I I, I don't want to be complaining about my kids leaving all their stuff at my house, because he is in the army, he moves around a lot, he doesn't have a... Technically, his permanent address is still our house, we still get his mail, because he's all over the place. But it's full of stuff, I mean, they're... It's been, so I've decided I need to clean this up. He doesn't live here anymore, and I'm gonna go up there, and if it's still there, if it seems reasonable to throw it away, I'm gonna throw it away. So I'm gonna carry a bag of stuff out of there every week. That's been my commitment. And so there's essays he wrote in the seventh grade up there. What's even better is <laughs> there are love letters from girlfriends when he was in middle school that i 've been taking pictures of with my phone and texting them to his brother and sister and saying "This, this, this <laughs> is awesome. Read that <laughs> and we 've been trying to remember who was that girl <laughs> who, who was that girl and he he 's handled it really well he 's like Dad, you you should be glad that fourteen year old guy exercised some self restraint with that girl so so there's there's a lot of a lot of, lot of give and take we're having, we're having a good time with this." But one of the things that I've noticed in his room is full of cards that his mother wrote him. Telling him she loved him, that Jesus loved him, and that there are verses from the Bible reminding him of the promises of God and the promise of God to him in his baptism. Now, what's so there's two. There's a couple of things about that that are moving to me. One is um, that uh, the whole time she was writing, she was writing him those letters because she was anxious for him. She was concerned for him, legitimately concerned for the state of his soul. And the whole time he was receiving those letters, he. Would, if, if you'd asked us. Does he care about us? Does he care about any of this stuff? We would have said absolutely not. That's why she's writing him all these cards and letters. He kept them. He kept them all they're all still they're all still in his room. Now, maybe maybe what you know we would have been better parents. If we had just said, we don't need to do that. We don't need to express our care and concern for him in that way. We don't need to be sorrowful that he doesn't seem to be dealing with the gospel in the way in which we would like. We have every confidence that God will save him, so we're not worried. Right? If you came to me and you talked to me that way about your kids we would have some work to do, right? So the, 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 the reality that we, the, we have here, don't make the mistake of, of thinking that you can't have some concern about someone you love or you can't have some sorrow about a loss or even concern about a potential loss that might cause you to, 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 to have more sorrow you're not sinning when you feel those things. You're not sinning when you experience those things. Now, if you give yourself over to sorrow, you give yourself over to anxiety, yes. But you're not a... Listen, the gospel doesn't make you not a human being. If <laughs> these, this This is the way it works. It is an organic, real thing that happens in time and in space in people who live in a broken and fallen world. Now, if we did not have the gospel, if we did not have Jesus Christ, if we did not have the resurrection, if we were not able to say over the bodies of our dead loved ones, this one will live again, our God raises the dead. If we were not able to say that, then there would be no hope. There would be only sorrow. There would only be anxiety. But because we have the promise of the gospel, because we have the resurrection, because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, because we have the truth of the gospel, what can we say? This is hard. But Jesus is Lord. This makes me worried. This is, this is frightening. This is anxiety producing. But a day will come when every knee will bow. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. What we tend to do is we want to binary this thing up so much that you can only have sorrow or you can only have joy. You can only have trust or you can only have anxiety. It doesn't work that way. That's not honest. (laughs) And it's not... It's just not accurate. So if you're laboring today under the false belief of, that the world is only about sorrow and only about anxiety, repent. Jesus loves you. God is sovereign. He's for you. But also if you're laboring today under the sense that you only have room as a good Christian For joy, and you only have room as a good Christian for trust, repent of that too. Because perhaps what you've done is you've used the gospel in a sick sort of way to protect you from the vulnerability that loving someone else might bring to you. Because you might be fearful of loss, you might be fearful. Of how they might walk through life. And all of this, and all of this, we entrust ourselves to this God who's merciful, who's gracious, who is love, who is for us, who knows our weakness, who knows our brokenness better than we do ourselves. And He is still with us and for us. Let me pray. Lord, we come to you today thanking you for this. Thanks. Thanks for these words about uh, this relationship, these men, uh, how uh, they loved one another and how you loved them. I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, come to grips with these things. I pray that you would mature us in our understanding of uh, what our emotional and relational life is like and how the gospel impacts that and how it uh, informs the way we live and love one another. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Let's uh, confess our sins by using this confession of sin that's uh, printed uh, in the bulletin. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. Christians, hear these words of encouragement. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin.